Mark your calendars. On July 30th, Brandon and I will be at the Midsummer Scream Horror Convention in Long Beach, California. The event starts at 11 a.m. and will last until 7 p.m. It will be held at the Long Beach Convention Center. We'll be part of a storytellers panel that Saturday, along with Sapphire Sandalo, Shelby Scott, and others. So come hang out with some of your favorite podcasters and enjoy some live storytelling at the Midsummer Scream Horror Convention. Again, that's on Saturday, July 30th at the Long Beach Convention Center. For more information, check out midsummerscream.org. See you there. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. I've been wanting to share my story for a little while now, and feel now is the right time. These are two separate stories related to the same thing. Just a short backstory, I have always been incredibly close to my Nana growing up. She was more like a mother and a wonderful role model to me. When I was 26, my husband and I moved a thousand miles away for the military. It was hard at first being away from both of our families especially when we had only been gone for a few months when my nana got diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer. She was only in her 60s and I felt she had so much more life to live. Fast forward three years, my husband is out of the military but we are still living a thousand miles away with his new job. My nana had put up one hell of a fight against this cancer but it got to the point where she couldn't do much more. So, she decided it was time for hospice. Her doctor and nurse were saying that she still had quite a few months left with us. She wasn't really on any pain medicine at the time either. She had been in hospice for about a month, and we decided to go visit her, sadly, for the last time. That was the hardest. After a week-long visit and saying our goodbyes, we had to head back. We had only been home for a few weeks, and my husband had to leave for work for a whole week. I had a really uneasy feeling before he left and I said something to him about it, but he had to go. He flew out on Sunday to travel across the country. On Tuesday evening, I went to bed, but once I got in bed, I couldn't turn off my lamp. I always sleep with my bedroom door shut and it was shut. I had that uneasy feeling again. I just sat in bed for what felt like forever and could just not go to sleep. Around 9.30, I started hearing loud footsteps in my hallway outside my door. It sounded like someone was wearing boots on our hard floors. Immediately, I thought it was my husband coming home early and I smiled. That smile quickly faded because I kept hearing these footsteps for minutes. We have a very short hallway, so it was like whoever was walking was just walking back and forth. I started panicking because I thought someone had broken into our house. My husband would have come into our bedroom by now. The only thing I had to protect myself with was this large old metal flashlight. 
I had to go check on my kids who were right next to my bedroom. When I no longer heard the footsteps, I slowly opened the door and saw nothing at all. I went out to the living room and kitchen, still nothing. I checked on both of my kids who were fast asleep and hadn't moved. I went back to my bedroom and I still couldn't sleep and was freaking out because I still couldn't turn off my light. An hour later, my phone started ringing. It was my mom. I instantly knew what that meant. She never calls that late at night. I knew it had to be my Nana. I answered and my mom was crying, telling me that Nana had passed. She was telling me about how it all transpired and how she found out. Finally, I asked her how long ago she had passed, and she said around an hour ago. My heart sank because that's exactly when I heard those footsteps. I knew she was coming to tell me goodbye. After I got off the phone with her, I was overcome with grief that I forgot that even happened for a while. Now, on to my next experience. This was around 10 months after my Nana had passed. I was still grieving and needed that reassurance that she was okay, although I knew she went to heaven. One day, I was in tune with God and was doing a lot of praying out loud. I then spoke directly to my Nana and asked her for a sign. I told her I needed to know that she was okay. I asked her specifically to flash my lights in my house four times. I wanted something very noticeable and specific so that I would know she's okay. That evening when all of our lights were on, I kept on waiting for those flashes but it never happened. I was a little bummed out but I told myself I wouldn't let it get me down if it didn't happen. The next day came and that evening my husband had just gotten home from work. He went to take a shower and I sat in the living room. For context, we live in a highly windy area. Because it is so windy, they bury a lot of our power lines underground so they don't get blown over. Since we have lived here, our power has never flickered or gone out. While my husband was taking a shower, our lamp right next to me started flickering for about 5 seconds and then it went completely out. I was completely frozen and thought, can this be it? The light came right back on and then 30 seconds later, it did the same thing. It flickered and then went out. It does this a third time and you guessed it, a fourth time as well. I was in complete shock that it happened and had so much emotion. My husband came out of the shower and mentioned how weird it was that the power had done that since we never had any power issues since living there. I knew instantly it was her and that she was okay. It took me a long time to talk about these experiences with my family because I thought they would think I'm crazy. Once I told them, they felt it was Nana, and they all think she's always watching over me. We had a two-story house in the country. One night, laying in bed, somebody started knocking on the side of the house. It sounded like it was coming from right behind our heads. Our dog started barking like crazy. She and my husband went outside, but they didn't find anything. 
As soon as they got back inside, the knocking started again. It was only two or three knocks. We let the dogs out again, went out, and looked. Still nothing. Back inside, back in bed, there was another set of knocks. We just ignored it this time, and it stopped. The next morning, while my husband was still in bed, I got up and let the dogs out. I was standing on our back porch having a smoke, and the dog was on the back lawn doing her thing. Suddenly, I felt and heard footsteps. Somebody was running across our back deck, right behind me. But when I turned around, there was nobody there. Two days later, I woke up and went downstairs. There was a roll of toilet paper in our bathroom, but it was sitting now on the kitchen counter. Weird, but my husband and I laughed about it and just moved on. Lots of nights, my dog would just stand at our patio door wagging her tail excitedly for somebody to be coming through the door. Except I was already home and my husband was working. One day I had a pot of water on our wood stove, which wasn't lit. My dog was lying beside me. Out of nowhere, a bubbling noise came from the pot, like somebody had stuck a straw in the water and were blowing bubbles. I thought I was going crazy, but our dog woke up and started barking at the pot of water. She heard it too. I got to talking to our neighbor, whose brother-in-law built the house and lived there years ago. It was the first house with his new wife. When all the weird stuff started happening, he went into the hospital and was in palliative care. Somehow he pulled through, and after he was stabilized, he moved out of there, and all the crazy experiences stopped. Whoever or whatever was in my house for two weeks in September, let's not meet. In 1993, I was 17 and went to Lollapalooza in Orlando, Florida. This detail will become important later in the story. I wore black jeans, black military surplus boots, and a black ministry t-shirt from their Psalm 69 tour the year prior. I should also note that I did not consume drugs or alcohol and have no history of mental illness. Primus was the headliner that year. During their set, while I was having a blast moshing around in the pit, I accidentally shoulder-checked this guy fairly hard. Back then, mosh pits seemed much friendlier than today. Impacting with others, while expected and unavoidable, was never meant to harm anyone. Whenever you did accidentally run into someone too hard, or someone got knocked down, it was common courtesy to help them back up and check on them. So after I accidentally shoulder-checked this guy, I immediately spun around to make sure he was okay. And in that instant, it felt like time started to slow down. As I spun around to see him, he too spun around to see me, and we made eye contact. It then felt like everything stopped for a moment. I was looking at myself. Not only did we look the same, we were wearing the exact same clothing and even appeared to be in the same condition. Our shirts even seemed to be equally worn and faded. 
The only detail that struck me as being any different was it seemed as if my hair was slightly longer than his, maybe by an inch or two at most, as if mine had been growing for a few months longer than his. The frozen moment lasted for what felt like a second or two. Then time seemed to abruptly return and the crowd swallowed us back up. I didn't see him again. I remember thinking that it felt odd at the moment, but I must have written it off, as I was likely distracted by the music, lights, people, and everything else happening around me. In hindsight, this part of the story is always the hardest for me to reconcile with. I feel like if something like this were to happen today, I would stop everything and investigate. The best I can figure is that I just rationalized it away as a dumb, distracted teenager. After all, it could have been just some other guy wearing the same clothes, right? Anyway, after Primus was over, I was leaving the concert fairgrounds to head back to my car with my friend who I had driven there with. Someone lying on a blanket nearby started yelling at us as we walked past them. The guy got up, ran over, and started walking alongside us, asking us stuff about where we were going when we were going to meet up with so-and-so, etc. My friend and I had no idea who this dude was and had dealt with our fair share of stoned weirdos, so we just ignored him. When he realized we weren't stopping, he sprinted ahead of me and placed both of his hands on my shoulders to physically stop me from moving. He started addressing me by the wrong name and was confused as to why I was acting this way. I knocked his hands off of me, told him to back off, and my friend and I kept walking to my car, leaving him standing there, staring at me with a shocked expression. At the time, we laughed it off like, man, what was wrong with that guy? But the next day, everything started to make sense once I chatted online with another friend who attended the same festival. This other friend was someone I knew for years, but I wasn't close with him. I knew he was at the same show, but I didn't expend any energy looking for him or making plans to meet up or whatever. He initiated the chat and asked if he had done something to piss me off. I had no idea what he meant, so he told me this anecdote. He was watching some band at the festival when this crowd-surfing guy got past his way and fell down in front of him. He helped him up and realized it was me. He greeted me and tried to give me a hug, but I shoved him away, cursed at him, then stormed off. He was left completely baffled as to why I would have acted such a way when he thought we were cool. There were two huge problems with this story. One, I never crowd surfed, ever. Two, at the time this happened, I was with my friend watching a different band at a different stage. What's fascinating is that both my friend during the crowd surfing incident and my doppelganger's friend from the blanket incident were close enough to each of us to make physical contact and look us squarely in the eyes, yet they both mistook us for the other. I'm a religious person. I believe in God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. I don't believe in ghosts. 
that is, spirits of dead people roaming Earth, existing in limbo. For a long time, I saw the spiritual and paranormal as two separate phenomena. One was religious truth, the other one was a product of pop culture, but after my experience, I'm not so sure there's any real distinction at all. Before these events happened, I'll admit that I was the world's biggest skeptic when it came to the paranormal. When I say the paranormal, I mean ghosts and spirits, and how they're often presented and described by people. That orb floating across the living room in a video recording, a single light flickering on and off in a room down the hall, a series of creaks in the floorboard above your head late at night, a shadow peering out to look at you from around the corner. I was skeptical of all of it. I was the type of person that watched Ghost Hunters and the other shows like that, but always sought out rational explanations for people seeing ghosts. The darkness playing tricks on their eyes, old homes, and blatant fabrications. I had never had an experience of my own, so of course I just didn't think it was possible. That is until this happened. To this day, I'm still not 100% sure of what I saw, but I'm certain of two things. Whatever it was scared me to the point that I still get a chill down my spine whenever I recall this event, and the whole ordeal left me with a deep understanding that it is very possible for things to occur which we cannot fully explain. Things we cannot explain with religion. Things which exist that can be fully paranormal in nature. My experience happened while I was studying abroad in Osaka, Japan, during my second-to-last semester of college. It was fall of 2014. During my stay, I traveled a lot, particularly to the traditional towns and villages in Kyoto, since they were so close to where I was staying. For a long time, the Japanese people believed that demons and evil spirits could manifest themselves and walked this earth by the masses, wreaking havoc on mankind. This belief isn't as widespread today, though a good amount of people do still believe that ghosts can easily appear and torment people. As it stands, there are demon or ghost representations for pretty much every imaginable phenomena in Japanese society, and I always found the topic to be interesting, but never entertained it as something that could be real. One day in mid-November, I was at university studying and my friend, who was also an international student, suggested that we venture to Arashiyama, Kyoto to visit the famed Bamboo Forest. I was definitely game since I had visited almost every other place in Kyoto besides that forest. I really wanted to see it. We had originally planned to go early in the day, but one thing led to another and we got a late start, arriving in Arashiyama around 4pm. We spent a couple of hours exploring the town, its attractions, and then we decided to end the evening with the stroll through the bamboo forest. It was around 7pm and the sun was just going down as we entered the forest. Since it was the weekend, there were a lot of people walking along the main path, Japanese and tourists alike. Now the fenced-off bamboo is situated on both sides of this large path, bending at the top, often creating a bell-like curve shape. The bamboo shoot leaves also connect at the top, easily shutting out sunlight or moonlight 
and thus making things extremely dark for us. I have never been a fan of the dark, and was very thankful that the main path was well lit with light posts. We continued down the main path, enjoying the walk wholeheartedly, until we came to a fork in the road. The busy main path went right, and a smaller, darker path went to the left, with not a single soul in sight. My friend turned to ask me which path we should take. I suggested the main path, but she responded with, You only live once, and started up the path to the left instead. I sighed and hurriedly followed behind her. As we made our way up the narrow path, and farther and farther from the main road, I started to develop this uneasy feeling, like taking this path was a bad idea. Things had become eerily quiet except for the sound of footsteps and the swaying of bamboo in the wind. It was also becoming increasingly harder to see on the path without any light. The last thing I remember seeing clearly was an old shrine situated in a clearing to the right side of the road, followed by a creepy ancient-looking cemetery. As we passed the cemetery, and as it became even more difficult to see, I had a sudden thought of whether relatives came out there to visit the graves. I turned to voice this thought to my friend, who was a few steps ahead of me, but by that point I couldn't see anything at all. At the exact moment I was about to call to her and say her name, I reached out to her, and my phone vibrated in my coat pocket. I stopped walking and took it out, only to watch it die in my hands. I swore to myself in annoyance, I heard my friend's footsteps up ahead getting farther away from me, and I knew she had continued walking unaware that I had stopped. I slowly started to walk again and was looking downward as I slipped my now battery-dead phone back into my pocket. As I looked back up, and my eyes tried to adjust to the complete darkness, I stumbled as I nearly collided with somebody positioned to the right of me. I missed them by maybe a few inches, and withdrew slightly, steadying myself. They were taller than me, thin, hunched over a bit, but completely stationary. For some reason, I automatically assumed that it was a person who must have been walking back towards the main road. Maybe they stopped for a second and were probably looking down at their phone, similar to what I had been doing. I tried to rationalize. I would have knocked them over if I had kept going, so naturally I apologized and said, excuse me, in Japanese. But the thing or person just stood there, this tall, dark figure in front of me, not making a sound to indicate that it heard my apology, still assuming that it's a person, I started to casually step around it. As I did so, I looked for their cell phone light or some indication that the situation occurring was something normal. There wasn't any light, only pitch black darkness, and the figure didn't move whatsoever. In the process of walking around, I mumbled, excuse me, again, waiting to see some kind of reaction. Nothing happened. At this point, my eyes had adjusted more and I could make out just the outline of hair on top of this figure. Short hair. Keeping my eyes on the prickly strands of hair and 
After completely passing it, I continued a few steps forward, but froze. It was still there, standing. Well, I called out a third time, but with a much more louder and assertive tone. Excuse me. But I didn't really even finish that last word. It turned around to face me suddenly, a fast and soundless 180 turn in the darkness, like a soldier turning on heel to stand at attention. My blood ran cold. That sudden movement didn't seem human and I immediately felt like something was very wrong. I stood there as still as possible, staring back at this shadow-like figure, waiting for something to happen. I could feel myself internally shaking. I was scared because I knew whatever it was, it was staring back at me now. It felt like an eternity, but after a few seconds I took a single step back from this figure. As I did so, it suddenly advanced forward, a threatening lunge-like gesture that made me jump back in gear. On reflex, I put my hands up defensively to protect myself and shrieked, Jesus Christ! As I said those words, it stopped immediately, mid-lunge, outstretched, a split second away from reaching me. I was terrified to move and just stared back at it with my hands still up holding my breath and squinting as hard as possible to make out who this was. The outline of the hair was all I was able to identify. Second pass, one, two, three, and with a jolt, the figure suddenly went back to its original position with robotic-like speed, standing at attention, staring back at me. With this, I finally found my footing and turned to run towards my friend with my hands in front of me, grasping for some kind of safety in the darkness. She was about 10 to 15 paces ahead, and unable to see anything. I collided in the back of her. It sent us both toppling to the ground. She started to say, What the fuck? But I didn't even let her finish. I was panicking, screaming for her to get her cell phone out and to put on the flashlight. She fumbled with the phone, turned it on quickly, and handed it to me. I grabbed it and instantly turned it to the dark path. There was nothing. Nothing there at all but an empty road. I stood up slowly and walked back down, shining the light back and forth frantically as I searched for it. Still, nothing. Whatever it was, was now gone. It vanished into thin air. And that's when it hit me like a wave. I never heard breathing, or movement, or any footsteps after I ran. It couldn't have gotten away that fast if it were human. And upon realization, a fear washed over me, unlike anything that I had ever felt. It could still be lurking close by. I screamed for my friend to follow and started running as fast as I could towards the main path. I didn't stop until I'd reached that road stumbling on the paved ground as I made my way out of the darkness. I wouldn't feel the pain in my knees until much later. There weren't any people on the main path except for two maintenance workers. They were working on a light post. I stumbled over to them, wide-eyed and hysterical, screaming in unintelligible Japanese, tears streaming down my face. They were looking at me horrified. 
After taking a few breaths and calming myself down, I told them what had happened and they just looked at each other. My friend who caught up eventually asked if they could check the area in the morning for anything unusual. They hesitantly agreed. We thanked them, and both of us, visibly shaken now, made our way out of the forest as quickly as possible towards the town to catch the next train back to Osaka. On the train, we both sat in silence and I happened to get a glimpse of our reflections in the window opposite of us. My friend looked horrified, just like the maintenance workers had looked when I was talking to them. A few days later, I asked her why she had looked more terrified than me, and she said, I've never heard someone sound so scared in my life. You really freaked me out back there, like you had just seen the scariest thing imaginable. It was the last part of her sentence that would haunt me even after I returned to America. I didn't see anything concrete, and yet I had seen enough. There was something extremely terrifying in that darkness. It had existed. It moved. It almost attacked me. To not know what exactly that thing was, as it stared back at me in the darkness, is an indescribable feeling, a feeling I would never want to experience again. From time to time, when I'm alone, and almost always at night, I think back to that evening and just wonder. What? would have happened if I didn't run for my friend? What would have happened if I didn't say Jesus Christ and put my hands out defensively in front of me? What would have happened if I had never said excuse me in the first place to the figure and just walked around it without a second look back? Was it a ghost? I'll never know the answers to these questions. Perhaps, thankfully so. But I will always remember whatever that thing was in the deep darkness and will never forget the fear that it made me feel. The night terrors started, as I am told, when I was a toddler. As a parent, I can imagine how helpless it would feel comforting your baby who woke you up screaming in terror. As I got older and began to remember them, they would switch between a few equally terrifying dreams. By the time I became a teenager though, it had settled on just one dream. I don't want to get too graphic, but it was a hellscape. There was fire demons, and people screaming. I was always standing on the edge of a cliff, overlooking a valley of horror. I would get this horrible feeling of being watched, and then I would wake up. Time after time, it was this same dream, the same valley, fire, screams, and feeling of being watched over and over again. Until it was different, there was a figure in the distance now, I could tell that this was the figure I felt watching me, and I can't describe the hatred I felt from it. As the nightmares continued, I could tell this figure was getting closer. Around this time is when things started happening in my room at night. I had a hard time sleeping for obvious reasons, so I would be the only one awake in the house. The first thing I heard 
was a tiny knocking on the wall between my parents' room and my own. I looked over and, as if on cue, it stopped. Then I heard this slow scratch run its way along my wall. It stopped and, after staring at the wall for what seemed like hours, I finally fell asleep. The next night, I started sleeping in bed with my dogs. The things happening in my room nearly mirrored my night terrors. At first, it was occasional, then weekly, and then nightly. The figure in my dreams kept getting closer. My dog started growling at different corners in the room while I sat there, looking at an empty corner in fear. Then one night, they started growling as usual, but this time they moved their heads back and forth, like they were watching someone pacing. One night, I was startled awake because all of the doors on my cabinet were rattling like there was an earthquake. The only problem was, I don't live in an earthquake-prone area, and everything else in my room was still, except for my dogs who were not happy about it at all. Another night, the pole chain on my fan was swinging heavily in one direction before switching and swinging the other way. When I sat up, it continued for a few seconds before stopping abruptly. I am terrified at this point and trying to think of anything I can do to make it stop. My mother is Catholic, so I covered my walls with rosaries and pendants of the Virgin Mary. I had never prayed before, but I started doing so every night. But that only seemed to escalate things. One night, I was woken up by my blankets being pulled off of me while my dogs lost their minds. And each night, the figure was getting closer in my dreams. Since I now felt like I was at the end of my rope, I found a website that allowed me to become ordained as a reverend. I know that might sound silly, but I was sleep-deprived and felt desperate. I felt like I was being punished for not believing in anything, so I guess you could say I may have overcompensated. That night when I slept, the figure was right in front of me, a black silhouette covered in flames with large eyes with pitch black pupils. I woke up in terror and that's when I felt a strong hand grab my foot. I screamed for everything to stop and started crying. And it stopped. I have no idea why it stopped so suddenly and I haven't experienced anything like it since. I still have a hard time admitting that this actually happened to me. I am an atheist now and am quite the skeptic. But I'll never be able to forget the feeling of that clawed hand on my foot. So listening back to that story, I can't help but think that this is a bit more of a haunting or some kind of spirit, like a trickster spirit or even an evil spirit. Maybe it's demonic. I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking some sort of demon. Yeah. And I know we talked about that probably in the last episode, I think it was, where we just we said, oh, nope, that story's a demon. That's a demon. And I don't it's mean It's an to, easy conclusion, I for know, sure. It, it sounds like an easy conclusion. And I, I'm not trying to base everything off of movies, but I grew up, you know, they talk about being Catholic. Their mother was Catholic. And I grew up religious and everything was being, was blamed on demons and things like that. So maybe that does come into play, but I just can't help but sense something demonic about it. 
Yeah, just the scenery of the dreams itself, seeing the black silhouette with flames and all that, that that screams demon to me. For all we know, it could have been a foreshadowing or a warning. I agree, and and the black silhouette really freaks me out because it references pretty closely the shadow person phenomena that Mm -hmm. happens. And I can't count how many times since we've moved into this house, specifically this house, that I've woken up in the middle of the night and I've seen a shadowy figure only to sort of wake up and it just it just kind of disappears like the hypnagogic figures that people will get when they have sleep paralysis and things like that but more than that has happened in my house and these types of things didn't happen to me in any other places that I've lived in in the last 10-15 years I think that these things are tied to the houses I think it's tied to where you're growing up where you live at the time I think there's something there. I think that it has, it has something to do with a haunting in a location. Oh, absolutely. They find ways to tie themselves to whatever they can. Yeah. Um, I know we've talked about Ouija boards a thousand times, but yeah. same sort of situation, you know, like whatever the vessel is, it could be a house, a Ouija board, a doll, thanks but no thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I definitely think this was either a foreshadowing or some sort of we don't want to say possession because obviously he was still in control of himself and yeah. all that good stuff, but something was definitely there. And the desperate times lead to desperate measures. The fact he became an online ordained minister or reverend or whatever it was, like, I can't blame him. Yeah. And also the slow scratching that ran its way along the wall. It was audibly hearing things. Like, you don't just audibly hear things. You know what I mean? there's something there and like I said in this new house for me I'm hearing things my dogs are growling and barking at things that aren't there I haven't told this story yet on this podcast but I'm the door locker I go through the house I lock every door and window I set the alarm before I go to bed that's my job as, as as the daddy one night we go to bed after I've checked everything I wake up before my wife I get up go downstairs the back sliding glass door is open completely wow i locked it before i went to bed don't you have a a camera down there we do but it it doesn't record it's like a live thing we can tap into it with our phones to watch live. i see so i go over to the alarm the alarm's been disabled Uh, uh. nobody can disable the alarm unless they have the code which is one two three four Okay. There's there's no way anyone's going to. You were supposed to laugh at that. There's no way. No, that was like a dry. It was it was deadpan. Like, okay, thanks for telling me. Okay. So, someone or something opened my back door while it was locked, turned off my alarm, didn't steal anything. My laptop was sitting right there on the table by the sliding glass door. TV on the wall. Xbox plugged in. They could have taken any number of things that they wanted, but they didn't. It was just something or someone that opened the door, disabled the alarm, and was there in our house. Just took a nap on the couch. Took a nap on the couch, then took off. These types of things never happen to me in other houses. Doesn't make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason to it, but I'm hearing bumps in the night. I'm hearing doors slam all the time. Doors slam constantly with all the windows closed. It's hot where we live. We've got the AC on all the time. There's no draft in our house. No reason for the doors to be slamming. I've put shoes 
as like a door stopper to keep doors open and I will still be downstairs and hear them slamming shut upstairs. No lie. Wow. That's insane because like we've actually gotten some messages asking like, hey, ever since you guys have been telling paranormal stories, has anything happened to you? And initially I was like, meh, yeah. no, just storytelling and I'm not going to lie. It has. I don't know if that doll contributed yes. or not. Probably the Ouija board and just opening ourselves up, putting ourselves on those wavelengths. I, I really think we're not playing with fire, but we're towing the line of some hot coal. Yeah, as Sapphire told me when I started getting into deep meditation and stuff and I started having like sleep paralysis issues and these shadow people incidents, which I've talked about, uh, she, she clearly said it's because you're opening yourself up to these higher vibrations mm-hmm. and these other beings, these other whatever they are, are tapping into that and it's affecting you in ways that it never would have before. And I think we're doing that with this show. I'm okay with it because uh, no, no harm has come to me. It's just been spooky haunted house stuff. Yeah, I think we're pretty spiritually resilient as well. And we have good energy. I don't really think, maybe I'm being overconfident, but I really don't see us encountering any sort of evil energy and not being able to deal with it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to allow it to happen, and that's just what it is. I'm just going to speak it out of existence. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, just to wrap things up, thank you for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed the show. This week you have heard Crazy Experiences with My Nana's Passing by Marie. Did the Builder of Our House Come Back to Haunt It by Virginia? I Hit My Doppelganger at Lollapalooza 93 by Ghostface Starkiller. A Story from the Bamboo Forest by Celeste Maria. And finally, Night Terrors by BJ Graham. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Don't forget if you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And if you want to get access to the Patreon for all of your ad-free episodes at a higher bitrate for the highest quality listening experience available, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails to sign up and support the show today. And don't forget to check out all the new episodes of our other podcasts at crypticcountypodcasts.com, including the new episode of the new show, the old time radio cast which dropped today we'll see y'all next week for a brand new episode of odd trails stay safe peace out